The Gist is brought to you by Harry's, the new shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door, all at a fraction of the price of other razors. Visit harrys.com and use the promo code THEGIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, August 22nd, 2014. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Russia kicked out McDonald's. The McRib was for an even more limited time than originally thought, I suppose. Read about this in the New York Times. Here's a sentence in the mind of the Kremlin. The Big Mac, or Big Mac as it's ordered here, is still more American than apple pie, which Russians sometimes called charlotka, and regard as about as American as Angela Merkel, the German chancellor. Yeah, you stepped on your own joke there, New York Times. About as American as Angela Merkel. Boom, done, and funny. Also, Merkel, Merkel, funny name. But you got to add the German chancellor. That has all the hallmarks of an editor saying, well, we can't just let him hang out there. I mean, what if they don't know who Angela Merkel is? Or maybe they're thinking of a different Angela Merkel. I looked it up. There's Angela N. Merkel from San Diego, Angela K. Merkel from McChesney Park, Illinois, Angela C. Merkel from Crestview, Florida. I mean, what if one of those Angela Merkels is a subscriber? She was actually reading the New York Times. So we have to say the German chancellor. New York Times does this all the time. A lot of media does. Used to work for NPR. Happened to me a lot. Drives me a little bit crazy, right? This overpedantry. Here's an article about swimming. It's like in the 10th graph of a swimming article. The first piece is you have to seize the moment when something magical happens. Like when Michael Phelps wins nine gold medals, you have a plan ready to go, said Mr. Favorito, referring to the Olympic swimmer. Oh, now I get it. That Michael Phelps. I thought you might have meant the craft brewer Michael Phelps, who once won nine gold medals for his Pilsner. This is one of the worst recent examples. The title of this article is Tennis Stars Touch Down in the Midwest and They Crave Applebee's. And the entire reason the article was commissioned and why anyone's reading the article is that you have all these famous tennis stars playing at the like Cincinnati Open. And the only thing that's around them, because it's really far outside of Cincinnati, is an Applebee's. So all these rich tennis dudes are going to an Applebee's. That's funny. It's not what you expected. Whatever. Three paragraphs in, they note that... Tucked next to a Marriott that serves as the official hotel of the tournament, Applebee's has been packed by players for years, not only for its reliable food, but also for its convenience and long hours. The restaurant, part of a chain specializing in American cuisine. Yes, we know. That's why we're reading the article. It's Applebee's. Who doesn't know Applebee's? Yeah, definitely someone, but they're not reading this article. I know Applebee's. You know Applebee's. I bet Applebee's is known by the Pope. You know, Jorge Mario Bergoglia, the pontiff, head of the Catholic Church, vicar of Christ on Earth. No? Nothing? All right. Well, on the show today, a one-woman show about frozen embryos, and in the spiel, animals, animals, everywhere animals, especially overly cute animals who win online contests they don't deserve to win. But first, America likes to think of itself as the engine that could, and yet we're always saying that engine is on the wrong track. The poll results are as reliable as they are depressing. When asked what track is the country on, Americans overwhelmingly say, not the right one. 
Latest Zogby poll, 26% of the country says we're headed in the right direction. 58 say things are off on the wrong track. Latest McClatchy Maris poll, two-thirds believe the country is headed in the wrong direction. NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, 71% of adults think the country is on the wrong track. A leap of eight points from June. America is a hopeful, promising beacon of freedom that represents optimism and a can-do spirit whose people are perpetually grumpy and dyspeptic about our chances. And it's been this way for a long time, for over a decade. CBS News has been asking right track, wrong track since 2006. One time in May of 2009, 45% said right track and 48% said wrong track. And that's the closest we've come to being optimistic in this decade. A month earlier, NBC recorded a 43-43 tie on the subject. So that was a true meh moment. Actually, the NBC poll did show two bumps. Right after 9-11-2001, 70% of Americans told a pollster that we were on the right track. And in a poll taken on 12-14-03, the majority of Americans said we were right tracking it. What happened on 12-14-03? It was the capture of Saddam Hussein. Within four months, we were back on the wrong track again. But Gallup has the most complete and the oldest data on the question. They ask it a little differently. They ask, are you generally satisfied or dissatisfied with the way things are going in this country? Now, it's difficult to represent a line graph in audio form, but that doesn't mean we can't try. So let's start with the first time Gallup asked this question. 26% said they were satisfied. 69% said they were dissatisfied in the year 1979. So, 69% dissatisfied sounds like this. Dissatisfied. It took five years before Americans said they were satisfied, but in 1984, they did. 50% of them did. So that will be represented with a sound like this. Satisfied. So with those oral parameters in place, let's start with 1976 and go through the years to hear how satisfied and dissatisfied Americans have been over that time. Reagan, elected. Dissatisfied. 1984. Satisfied. 1986. Satisfied. Reagan leaves office. Dissatisfied. 1991. Satisfied. Record 84%. Dissatisfied. Clinton inaugurated. Dissatisfied. 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 Clinton re-elected. Even. Clinton's second term. Satisfied. 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 Lewinsky scandal. Satisfied. Impeachment. Satisfied. Acquittal. Satisfied. 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 George W. Bush takes office. Satisfied. September 11, 2001. Satisfied. 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 2003. Dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. 2004. Dissatisfied. 2005. Dissatisfied. Obama elected. Dissatisfied. 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 2012. Dissatisfied. Dissatisfied. Today. Dissatisfied. Hope that helps. Joining me now is Andrew Kohut, the founding director of the Pew Research Center in Washington, D.C. Hello, Mike. He knows polls. Andrew, so there we have heard for a long time we've been on the quote, wrong track, dissatisfied. And if you look at the numbers for the majority of the last three decades, we've said that things were on the wrong track. 
in uh, the boom years of uh, the 1990s, and I've looked at this since uh, 1982, we had uh, pretty solid majorities uh, at various points in time saying that we're on uh, the right track. In the early 90s, there was a period where the majority said that. So it's not always that way. I think it seems that way because it's been that way for so long in recent times. You get that impression. And, of course, uh, bad news, wrong track, uh, resonates more than right track. It hasn't always been that way, but I guess if we total them up, it's been more wrong than right over the course of the years. Do you think this is a fair or good question to ask? Well, uh, there are two brands of this question. Yeah. There is the right track, wrong track, which says, do you think the country is generally going in the right direction, or do you feel things have gotten pretty seriously wrong? And that's the classic right track question written by the Roper organization years and years ago. Then the Gallup organization in the late 1970s came up with its own question, which says, are you satisfied or dissatisfied with the way things are going in the United States at this time? And they generally show the same thing. Uh, the Gallup question, and I may be biased because I'm a, an old-time Gallup guy, is a little, little clearer. What does right track mean? Uh, I think there's some ambiguity there. The satisfaction question uh, has more positive numbers during good economic times. And during good economic times, uh, once in a while, the wrong track, uh, the right track question will have people say, no, I'm more critical of the track of the country, because it's not only about the economy. Uh, both of these questions are about, yes, uh, the economy, but they're also about um, how people feel about uh, uh, various kinds of, uh, of conditions, uh, whether we're at war or peace. Um, so it, it's it's a little bit of a complicated uh, measure, but they are two of the most simple, most basic questions uh, asked in polls, and they're generally asked pretty high in the interview. You don't go through a long list of issues and say, well, are we on the right track or the wrong track? Are you satisfied or dissatisfied? They're pretty near the top of the interview. And they're pretty, uh, they're pretty good indicators of the public's appraisal of the state of the country. I also noted that the spike within the last, say, 15 years, if you look at the trend lines, and you have, there's that spike around September 11th. And it's illogical to say that for those few months, we were headed in the right direction, but that's what people said. So how does a pollster explain that result? That was a very special period in time when the country really came together and were saying positive things about the country, its future, uh, and uh, it was about a six-month period. It was extraordinary. All of the numbers moved, and they all moved in a positive direction, whether it was the, 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 these two questions or other things. Uh, Americans were uh, banding together, and uh, it was a, a, a period of great unity that uh, didn't last very long. It was dispelled by the conflict and the divide over the war in Iraq, uh, and, and increasingly so. Well, my opinion, in my opinion, I mean, things could go bad for the next 20 years. But during my lifetime, I'm 40 years old, things have been going well and getting better by most measures. But people don't seem to think so. But I explain this by saying 
you know, that's how human beings are built. We're built to worry about the future. And if we weren't, you know, our forefathers would have been eaten by tigers on the savannah or whatever. But this is how we are. What the definition of news is things that are happening and usually it's bad news. We worry about things, but that doesn't mean that things don't work out in the end. But in generally, we are a bit worried and maybe overly worried if you go by just empirical evidence. Uh, I think that's true, but we have a way of responding to, ch- to changing events in the world. I mean, if you take the 1990s, the percentage of people in the early 1990s when we were in a bit of a recession uh, was really pretty low. And then we hit the boom years and it soared, you know, 50, 60 percent saying we're satisfied with the way things are going in this country. Uh, the right track questions weren't nearly as high. Uh, and then as you know, we hit the skids with Iraq and then ultimately with a great recession. Those numbers came down. There's a rationality to the ways in which these numbers change, at least, uh, at least in my opinion. Andrew Kohut is the founding director of the Pew Research Center. Thank you so much, Andrew. You're welcome. All right, I want to talk about shaving, and I want to talk about Harry's, Harry's Razors, sponsor of The Gist. Now, a lot of people say, especially people who started listening this week, oh, what can I do to support the show? They maybe have a public radio mindset. And I say, you know, don't, no, we are not asking for donations, patronize our sponsors. But I do realize... You know, a lot of sponsors on this show, on other shows, have a one-time offer. And so if you already took the offer from us or somewhere else, there's nothing you could do. But if you're a man, you shave, right? And if you shave, there's no reason why you shouldn't try Harry's. And when you do try Harry's and say, the gist sent us there, and in a second I'll give you the coupon code, this is exactly a way to help your face and also help us. For $15, you get moisturizing cream, a razor, three razor blades. It's a really good set. And at the very least, you know, since you're buying razors anyway, and if you do want to help the gist, it's a great way that helps everyone. Here's what you do. You go to harrys.com and enter the coupon code the gist, and you get $5 off this trial set of razors. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter coupon code the gist and check out. You get $5 off and start shaving better today. Dr. Courtney Green is America's leading frozen family advocate. She's the proud mom of 23 could-be kids in a cryo can. Now, let's put out of our minds the fact that she's lecturing today only because the original lecturer got in an accident on the highway. Forget about that. Dr. Green has many lessons she would like to impart to us, and she joins me now. Hello, Dr. Courtney Green. Hello. So tell me, what are the advantages of having kids in a can as opposed to what I have, actual room temperature children? Well, if you can afford the crazy expense of having room temperature children, which you cannot store in one convenient location, right? Therefore, you have to keep track of them wherever you go and keep them thermally regulated wherever they go, then have at it. Why didn't you pay for the platinum level cryogenic freezing from the get-go? I don't know where you've been, but rare manuscripts, archival research grants are really hard to come by. And it just simply wouldn't cover that budget, especially if I'm fucked is going to charge me with embezzlement. And I'm fucked is, again? Um, The Internal Management Faculty Oversight Committee, I'm fucked. Yeah. 
So uh, we should mention that Courtney Green, who we've been talking to, who has been giving a lecture at the Fringe Festival and will be lecturing on Friday and Sunday, actually has another persona. She is Courtney Rea. Hello. Courtney Rea is a writer and performer behind a show called All My Children, and it's like a TED Talk meets the worst day anyone ever having a <laughs> TED Talk ever had. Uh, and, and Courtney plays this tenure-track professor who has to juggle a lot of things including a little bit of an earthquake, a power surge, the fact that her frozen embryos, because she didn't pay for platinum service, might be unthawing, and then bad things going on at the university. How the heck did you think of this? It was a very slow evolution. I mean, I actually did have kids in a can. You did? And it became problematic. Like, it became obvious that I had no real plan to defrost them because... As I say in the show, could you really improve on those circumstances? And as I sort of lived this dual track, I'm a mom, not a mom, life, I realized that this could extend indefinitely. There wasn't a convergence on the horizon of like, oh, I have a definite date and my life's going to change. And I'm suddenly, it just was parallel tracking indefinitely. And then I also read an article about all of these frozen embryos that are actually accumulating in storage facilities across America because who, who's going to call the facility and say, I've got Johnny, you can defrost the rest. You know, nobody wants to dispose of their frozen families. Right. And, it pro- and they probably have it set up so it just automatically renews on the credit of card. Of course. Yeah, Automatic yeah. debit, my friend. Yeah, yeah. They are trying to discourage sort of long-term storage. So your first year's 250 yeah. then it goes up to 5 then it goes up to 750 So I feel like I've oversold the financially advantageous aspects of yeah. long-term storage of your family because I think it's just an exponential rise in it's, the cost. It's weird. That's the same philosophy as New York City parking rates where mm-hmm. it's like 75 cents for the first 10 yeah. minutes and then it's a dollar for each additional 10 minute and i never understood most things the more you buy the cheaper it gets like a half dozen wings is 10 bucks but like maybe three dozen wings is only 25 bucks it's a moral penalty yeah it's a moral penalty for jacking them around and not just getting on with your business why can't you wrap <laughs> it up in 10 minutes why can't i wrap it up in say five years but why do they care once they have your eggs you know being frozen why do they Like, why do they have a moral stake in it? Aren't they for-profit companies dealing with, you know, anxious uh, 41-year-old, I might not be able to be a mother anymore type clients? I think they're trying to discourage exactly the kind of familial alternative space that I explored, which was frozen family living. So you had some frozen kids, and from the frozen kids came an actual kid, a daughter. Yes. How old is she? She is now 13 months. And so, Oh, so you were doing the show as you were the mom of yes, a crazy. less than one-year-old. As Multi-tracking. You were, yeah, Talk about as it, As you yes. were getting ready to write this book, The New Prometheans, Faith, Science, and Supernatural. I Mind. feel like my life is in... Fl- you could say, oh, you're on fire, or yeah. you could say your life in, is in flames right. in all different quadrants. So... <laughs> Spontaneous combustion does uh, play does have two edges. So, what do you get out of this? It must be fun to do. It must be a challenge. Is there anything tangible that you could take from the Fringe Festival experience to your academic life? Or oh, your absolutely! Life as a writer? But I was having a great time as an academic, and I had big lecture halls. But I would actually have dreams where I was in a play, and I would wake up sad with a sense of loss. Now, I should have been having that sense of, "Oh, I dreamt I had a baby," and waking up sad without a right. baby. No, but it was the play. 
I was dreaming about. about. Was the play about having no, a baby? No, it was just yeah. about this part of me that I abandoned. And I did notice that as soon as I started really performing, that longing was resolved. Now, also as an academic, I am sort of bucking against their framework. And I always like there's something theatrical and operatic about like I want to put that intense form of communication, but I want a laser show. Okay. And I want live volcanoes. I just want to come thundering over the mountain with these epic ideas and then just a huge floor show. Like I thought academia had backed off too much and let other people seize the field. And I thought if we just brought more, more passion, more more technology, more theatricality, more yeah. everything. So in a way, she is doing what I would love to do in academia, which she is bringing a floor show to her lecture. So might one day we see you actually lecture to your actual students, but there be maybe some dry ice, a timpani. Yes, 100%. If they'll fund changes. it, if I can use my rare manuscripts archival research grant for that, I will. Courtney Rea is Dr. Courtney Green. She's starring in All My Children, which will be uh, this Friday and Sunday at the New York Fringe Festival. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. And now the spiel. So on Monday, the GIST hosted a debate among the four finalists that the Smithsonian had designated the most iconic items in its collection. They were the American flag, one that flew over Fort McHenry, a portrait of George Washington, the original copy of This Land is Your Land, and Bow Bow the Baby Panda. Among GIST listeners who voted on Facebook.com slash SlateGIST, This Land is Your Land won handily. On the Smithsonian side, things went quite differently. The freaking panda won. Tomorrow, there will be a celebration of this fact and Bao Bao's first birthday. She will be feted and celebrated, and somehow I think she will notice as much as any of the runners-up would notice, meaning a 200-year-old piece of cloth, a 70-year-old recording, and a 218-year-old painting. And that, by the way, is one reason I think the panda won. The baby, fresh, one-year-old panda has an advantage in a vote taken over the internet. If the vote were taken at American Legion halls, ah, hell, the panda still would have won. Listen to these comments on Facebook. Of course she won, because she already won our icon of a heart. Hooray, I'm so happy for Bow Bow, her keepers, the cam operators, and all who love us so much. Exclamation, 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 I can't go on. Congratulations, Bow Bow, her parents, you're adorable. What a great start to the birthday celebration. This baby represents our future. She is a beacon bringing light and joy to the world and shows what can be accomplished with science and research to save endangered species for generations to come. Well deserved. We love her. Of course she was going to win. She's America's sweetheart. Just as notable as the comments is who was making the comments, and I think this plays into it too. Rebecca Fields, Sandra Parshall, Anne Wilde, Sandy Thompson, Rebecca Fields again, Mary Ambrose, Carol Loveless, Shirley Brown, Paula Sorrentino, Luann Fluke. Woman, 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 woman. Look at all the other candidates. You had George Washington, a guy. You had Woody Guthrie, a guy. And you had a flag. Now, 
It was written about by Francis Scott Key. It was part of a battle fought by men. So I'm thinking maybe if the organizers of the flag had emphasized other things, like the women who sewed the flag, or the fact that because it's so faded, the red is almost a pink. If they had done that, ah, hell, the panda would have won still. So in our debate, Slate editor Julia Turner spoke up for Woody Guthrie. She did a great job. Just listeners voted for This Land is Your Land at 14 times the rate they voted for the panda. Julia Turner is here. Julia, you turned out the local precincts, but nationally you got trounced. What do you think went wrong? It's really hard to fight Babau. She's an amazing campaigner on the rope lines of the Internet. She's got that cute mug. She's designed for virality. Got that high-contrast black-and-white color scheme that babies go for. I think one other thing that the weakness of the Woody Guthrie performance nationally suggests is just how hard it is to make audio go viral on the internet, right? Like, you, it's very easy to see a picture, like it, click it, share it. And Twitter, it's much harder to take a clip of a beautiful song like This Land is Your Land and have it show up in everybody's Facebook feed and their Twitter feed. And so I think in any campaign where internet voting is what's going on, a cute panda is going to necessarily beat a, a beautiful folk song. But she's quite a panda, isn't she? I'll never say a kind word about that panda. Thank you, Julia. And yes, let us now acknowledge that pandas are overrated. People are so gaga about Bao Bao that it's hard not to say that she's the subject of zoological inflation. I mean, pandas are so beloved, you don't even have to establish a criteria for what constitutes overratedness or what constitutes underratedness. You just have to put down the bamboo and slowly back away. But I would say, in general, when we talk about overrated animals, the argument we make is usually that they're given a lot of credit for their looks, they're usually cuddly animals, but we criticize them for being unpleasant to humans. Like, koalas fall in this category. Oh, they're so cute. Then someone will say, yeah, they're ill-tempered and riddled with chlamydia. So really, when we speak of overrated animals, what we're really saying is they're not like dogs. Here are some animals currently criticized as being overrated. Polar bears, penguins, dolphins, sloths, hamsters. They're all cute, but They all have negatives. They might attack you. They smell bad. They don't do anything. They eat their young. Those are all just proxies for saying they would be terrible dogs. Now, when we speak of underrated animals, we mention special features like bats and their sonar or regeneration and lizards. Or we speak of special secret intelligence like crows. Oh, crows are so smart. Or how scary they are, you know. You know, the lethality of the golden poison dart frog. It has one milligram of poison, which could kill between 10 and 20 people. But I think I have found the animal that combines all the elements of what constitutes an underrated animal. It was suggested on Twitter, Slate Hate. That's the dude's Twitter name. I don't even know why I engage with him. But he did say that the mantis shrimp was extremely underrated. Then he linked to the oatmeal.com has this big cartoon backing the mantis shrimp. Oh, man. The mantis shrimp is colorful. It can see like eight times the rainbow or something. In fact, I learned a new word. The mantis shrimp spots its prey with hexnocular vision. Hexnocular! Two eyes that have three focal points each. And so many light-sensitive cells they can see in the ultraviolet and infrared. Now, the way this National Geographic video chooses to illustrate the mantis shrimp's special vision is like these purposefully hazy prisms on the screen, which is like explaining the 1812 overture to someone who's never heard it by shooting a cannon next to their face. 
we can't even understand Hex nocular vision. There's no way our brains can even comprehend that. I don't know. Maybe at the moment they were talking about Hex nocular vision, if they could figure out a way to have us taste a lemon tart. I don't know. I'm not a mantis shrimp. I can't really help there. But mantis shrimps, they're very deadly. You can't really keep one. They'll break the aquarium. They have these two claw-like things that move so fast that the water around these claws boils. It's called super captivation. There's another word. The mantis shrimp kills its prey sometimes, even if it doesn't hit it, because the prey gets boiled. So right now, I call for a college football player to acquire the nickname mantis shrimp. I call for the mantis shrimp to ascend to the highest ranks of underrated creatures. I call for a dozen mantis shrimp to be let loose in Bao Bao's habitat in the spirit of scientific inquiry. And most of all, I call for mantis shrimp toppers for a limited time at participating Red Lobsters. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, producer of Slate Podcasts, has lived in Minnesota, an American state in the upper Midwest known for ice. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, rides a bicycle, a two-wheeled form of transportation popular with children, the Dutch, and the pretentious. You can listen in SoundCloud. You could go to iTunes. We are on Yo. We will notify you as soon as the podcast is up. Sign up on Yo. Subscribe to Podcast. That's our Yo name, Podcast, and we will push a notification at you as soon as the podcast is ready. We also have an email that does that. You can sign up at slate.com slash gist email. Facebook is facebook.com slash slate gist. Our Twitter feed is slate gist. Email us at the gist at slate.com. We had a great week. We really do appreciate your support. An expression of gratitude used to flatter the audience, burnish the speaker's credentials, and throw off the scent that he's really a preening narcissist who only thinks of listeners as advertising delivery receptors. It's usually followed with the blandishment. Thanks for listening. Dissatisfied. Satisfied.